Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Classroom Critics Podcast. I'm here with uh, Walter and Andrew. We're back, and uh, this time we selected a film that is classic. It's fun. It's everything you want a movie to be, in my opinion. Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981. Steven Spielberg, director, uh, produced by George Lucas, of course, starring Harrison Ford, uh, classic swashbuckler. And uh, I don't know about you guys, for me, this this for this this film for me the first thing that comes to mind is just it's just fun you know it's it's a fun film to watch and uh, I I don't get bored of it yeah. I've been seeing this thing over and over again for years since I was a little kid and uh, I'll always stop when I see it on TV it's just a a pure classic fun adventure story uh, am I wrong. <laughs> No, I think you're absolutely right. It's one of those summer blockbusters, uh, you know, in, in that in that early sense of the summer blockbuster. I saw it when it first came out in the in the movies, uh, and I remember just loving every second of it. Um, it it's really the film that made me want to become a professor, um, saying that you could actually be a teacher and be cool at the same time. Uh, I, I just I, I fell in love with it, and I just watched it again um, earlier this week, and I must be the 15th or 16th time I've seen that film. You have a whip. That's the question. I, I do not have the whip. I don't have the hat uh, <laughs> or the coolness of, of Harrison Ford, but, uh, uh, I, you know, I can pretend. I, I disagree, Andrew. I think <laughs> I think you have it. Thank you for that. <laughs> you know, and, and if you remember seeing this film when it first came out, there was really no preamble. I remember seeing some commercials for it on TV, which really mostly showed him falling off the front of the truck. and And so nobody knew. And then Buzz built pretty quickly, but I remember going in to see this film with no expectations whatsoever. Uh, yeah. And I, I just sat there with my mouth hanging open. And then I remember in the weeks to follow, you couldn't even get in the theaters to see it. They were packed. But I, I just want to say that it's one thing to watch this film on TV, but it's another thing to see it in the movies on a massively big screen. Mm -hmm. uh, the only way really, I think, to, to truly appreciate this film. Well, I think you guys both have that on me. Um, I was, when I was a kid, I mean, I was too young for my parents to take my, they would not have taken take me to see this. Um, and I've never seen it on the big screen. I can, I could imagine what it'll be like to see it uh, right there in all its glory. Oh, it's phenomenal. This came out bef uh, between Empire uh, and Return of the Jedi. Am I right? I so. So, yeah. so Harrison Ford at this time, he was, he was a, a well-known uh, actor, right? He was someone who, what, what do you guys remember about Harrison Ford at the time? Well, he had been in American Graffiti, but really yeah. nobody knew him at that point. It was a retroactive recognition. And he was in Star Wars and everybody knew him. Then he was in a film called Heroes with Henry Winkler, which was a decent film, but didn't get a lot of attention. And then Empire and then this. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, by then everyone knew him as Han Solo. And then everyone right. knew him as Han Solo and in Indiana Jones, which that's not a bad twofer right there. Right. I just think certain movies have universal appeal, and I think this falls under that category. It's almost like anyone and everyone can find a reason to like this. You know, there's theology in it. There's violence in it. There's romance in it. There's um, superb music, excellent acting. There's humor. Nazis getting punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, so it has history. It has ancient history, yeah. um, 20th century history. And, yeah, it's just it's just this... So many key ingredients in this film that just, even as a kid, I found it, you know, really captivating. Um, 
So let's talk about that. But what, let's pinpoint some things that you find to be just uh, that just lure you in. I mean, think of the opening, right? Just the way it just sort of just takes you by the collar and says, pay attention to this. There's no boring buildup. It, it doesn't start in, at the university, right? It's, it begins right. in the jungle, correct? Uh, just that great, uh, you know, preface that it's, you know, I don't know, what were they going there? What's that, that, that idol they were going for there at the beginning? They were in South America and, and, and they okay. were going for that, that face idol in, in, in the cave. And, and I just remember, and it, it's, it struck me again watching it uh, earlier this week how they don't show Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones's face for the first several minutes, you know. So they are building up that suspense as to who is this guy, what is going on, what what are they doing, and a very young uh, Alfred Molina in in the film. Oh yes, he is. <laughs> it's funny that's the scene I chose for my breakdown, and uh, so <laughs> is this a good segue this for that? Probably be a good segue. Perfect. Okay, so here it is. So the, for this, I, I could have done the entire. He's putting in the glasses, folks. He is. <laughs> uh, you know, from the from the opening to the time that um, Balak takes the idol from him, and to the time you know he gets out on the seaplane, and then the big punchline. But I don't need to go that far. I want to talk just about the first three and a half minutes of the film, and so I want to go back to that whole thing where no one knows who Indiana Jones is. Nobody knows what this character is, who he is. And Spielberg chooses in those three and a half minutes to introduce him and everything we need to know about him with virtually no dialogue. Um, there's two lines in the entire scene. You, you know, it starts that these guys are going through the jungle and it's really cool because the Paramount logo of the mountain fades into an actual mountain. And as Andrew says, we don't see his face, we just see his back and, and, his, and that great fedora and he's looking. And then we see these guys obviously guides following him through the jungle. And the difference is that he's striding forward and they keep looking behind them. So there's an element of danger. Something is in pursuit or they're, they're worried about something. And we see that right then and there, that he's very calm and collected, that he's in charge. Uh, they're carrying a train of, of mules with of pack mules. So we know that there's, there's money funding this expedition somewhere. We don't know from where uh, they chop through the jungle and this, big stone idol with bats flying out of its mouth and one of the guides screams and runs off and Indiana just walks right up to it and studies it. So we, we see that he's calm and that he's not superstitious and he's intellectual. Um, he, uh, he finds a poison dart and he, he rubs it between his finger and tosses it away and the guides run up in there. That's where we get the two, uh, two lines of dialogue. Alfred Molina's character says, so Vito's three days, they're following us. And I always thought that was a bad piece of writing because if they're following them, why would the dart already be there? Yeah. But the other guy is like, no, they know if they knew we we're here, we'd be dead already. So now we have a existential dread, but we, it's bothering these guys more than it's bothering Indy. He, he, he clearly knew that that's what they were going to encounter. And so it's just, you know, another day in the office. Um, and then we get the title South America, 1936. And, as always, we see Indiana continuing to move forward while the other guys are always looking behind them. So again, he's determined mm -hmm. and he's, he's clearly prepared. Okay, bear with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, they stop at the river. He holds out his hand. They hand him a map and he puts the three pieces together. So we know that this is some sort of treasure hunt. Uh, and we don't know why, but you know, there's a map. He's, he knows how to read it. He has knowledge. Um, and at this point the game changes because behind him, the guides exchange or one guy pulls out a gun 
And we now suddenly know that they needed him to get to this point, but they must clearly feel they don't need him anymore. And he hears the gun cock and you, and you still don't see his face. And then he turns around and then he brings out that bullwhip and he smacks the gun out of the guy's hand with a bullwhip. And the one guy runs off and the other guy stays. And I always thought that was a cool thing because it doesn't matter whether Indy knows if the other guy is in on it or not. He just, he still needs him. So he's there. And that's when he to the light and you see his face for the first time. And so in, in this great scene, the, the things that you're learning about Indy without dialogue, with a terrific use of lighting, shadow and music is that he's brave, he's calm, he's dangerous and he's aware. He's smart, he's savvy, he's intellectual, but he's also knowledgeable. He's not just an academic. He's determined, resourceful, and fearless. He's a treasure hunter of some sort, and he's clearly both a man of action and thought. Two hmm. lines of dialogue. Yeah. And and his back the entire time until the very end. And I just thought to myself, you know, when I saw that in the movie, none of that registered the first time. It just I, I understood everything, but I didn't think about how brilliant of an introduction to a character that was. And yet when I looked at it and broke it down, all that information transmitted strictly through visuals, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, of course, is the realm of the filmmaker, is brilliant. It's a brilliant opening. It's interesting you say that because it, then it brings up the question. We know that this is one of those early summer blockbusters. Uh, 81 is still relatively early for the summer blockbuster. And it's a fun movie, as we've said. But is it more serious than, than maybe at first glance, does this, does this film have more depth to it than, than just being that fun adventure film? Well, I think one thing that makes this movie really unique is that it should toes that line. I don't think it's a film that takes itself too seriously. In fact, um, I was going to throw this out there. Could we, could we think of this film as a uh, homage to earlier adventure stories yeah. that certainly weren't considered high art? I mean, I think there's obviously a, uh, a propensity for Lucas, you know, certain projects he's been involved in have been, I mean, even Star Wars itself has sort of been inspired by adventure serials from the past. And this is kind of like a, just another genre right. of that. But it's, it's a genre mashup because it is, is it, you take that sort of almost um, purple expo or purple prose sort of thing of the, of the this hero, but you, you put it in with such precise and calculated filmmaking. And it's almost like you're blending these, these two things that are incongruous and yet they work so well together in the end. Yeah. yeah. So, it, it, there's a lot of Errol Flynn to him. You know, there's, there's, there's elements of Robin Hood and Captain Blood and, and some of those Errol Flynn movies that again, I don't think took themselves too seriously, which made them a lot of fun. Right. Right. It, it reminds me of the same juxtaposition in Cormac McCarthy's novel, The Road, where yeah. the content is so bleak, but the prose is so elegant and just two things that don't look like they go together. Right, right. And, and same here, that, that, that serial sensibility with, you know, the Spielberg-level filmmaking. It's, yeah, it's hard to do that, I'm sure. So um, what makes Indy, just throwing this out there, what makes him such a compelling, I mean, Harrison Ford himself has a lot to do with that, but what makes him such a compelling protagonist? For me, he's one of those characters that's, that really straddles the line between good and bad, that he's not necessarily uh, the good guy in, the, in that classical sense. He's certainly not a bad guy, but he is somebody who is, um, he will, uh, 
compromise uh, in, in order to get what he's what he wants. Um, when he get doesn't get the idol because Belloc steals it out from under him, and then he goes back and he said, "I had it in my hands, and and uh, I almost had it. It belongs in the museum." And this is kind of that refrain. We figure out, and not to too much of a, a post-colonial spin on this, but we figure out that he's working, you know, he's, he's very Western in that sense, that he wants to take these um, artifacts from these countries and bring them to the West, uh, specifically the United States and or Europe, and place them in museums where they become dead, dead objects in that sense. So, I, you know, there's there's something about him that's not entirely good. His whole relationship with um, uh, Karen Allen's uh, character, uh, Marion, is, you know, he, he was um, not very nice to her or her father, um, who we, we know is is his mentor. So there are things that he does that are that are straddling the line between, you know, what is acceptable behavior, I suppose. To me, that's that's an attractive character. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And just because, I mean, first of all, you know, Harrison Ford looks great on film. So, yeah. you, you know, you're undeniably attracted to those strong features and all that. But the thing I love about him is that he's not suave and sophisticated in a James Bondian style. Mm -hmm. He's more like an every man who is thrust into events larger than himself, but he just doesn't give up. And he, he just keeps going and he feels pain. He suffers and he bleeds but he just keeps going. And, and my favorite line of the film, um, you know, is I'm making this up. I don't know. Yeah. I'm making this up as I go. Um, but he reminds me, and I'll, I'll throw back to our last podcast of uh, Buster Keaton in the general. He's just your average guy with this extraordinary perseverance that, that he will not back off. And I love that about him. He seems to be a guy who's almost more interested in the hunt than he is archaeology. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that, is that wrong? Cause I, it almost seems like, I don't know. It seems secondary to him. Does he have, does he ever go off as to how uh, fascinated he is with the history of, um, I don't know, whatever he's looking for in any given film. He's very cynical, obviously about the arc itself. You know, he doesn't seem to, at least at first take that too seriously at all. Um, so it's almost like he's in it for the, the adventure. Yeah. Sure I think, I'm sure the character there is, you know, he teaches archaeology, but it doesn't mean that he is uh, as passionate about the textbook part of being a professor. Um, I'm getting the running out of time. So he's, he's kind of boring in his class when he's yeah. talking about the fine, uh, you know, even though all the girls are in the class with a crush on him, um, he's a very sort of monotone style teaching. He, he loses himself when he's trying to write on the board. Um, you know, he's one of those people that I think knowledge feeds what he does instead of the other way around. Yeah, he's not there for his students. He's, you know, teaching is 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 a job that allows him to go out and 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 be a treasure hunter, which is certainly, I think where his where his passion lies. Yeah, he can't wait to pack his bag bags at right. same. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a gun and a bullwhip. I mean, yeah, right. Well, there's a scene too because he and Belloc are sort of doppelgangers. You know, two sides of the same coin, but they're not that far removed. Belloc says that. A couple of yeah. times, but there, there's a scene, I think, when they're in Tunisia where he says, you, Deloc says, you take this pocket watch, it's, it's almost worthless. But if you bury it in the sand for 2000 years, it's priceless. So there's a brief moment of philosophical speculation, but then then you're running around chasing things again and, mm -hmm. and uh, it passes quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it's what makes one of the many things that makes this first film, I think, far better than all the others. Yeah is they, um, it's like the classic perfect MacGuffin in the arc, right? 
I mean, no matter what other adventure Indy goes on, could you really pick a perfect, uh, a more perfect MacGuffin than, you know, the Ark of the Covenant? What else? How can you top that? I mean, the Holy Grail, I think, is a pretty good one. But, man, the Ark has everything. It's, it's, it's an interestingly theological MacGuffin. It has, um, you know, lots of history behind it. And it captures the imagination of, of all the viewers, religious, non-religious alike. The fact that it's, you know, it's nowhere to be found, you know, and, and it's kind of like, uh, it's just interesting, especially how it's presented in the film. You know, they do a great job without getting too exposition yeah. uh, heavy with the two, uh, with Porkins, right? <laughs> the, the, the guy who plays Porkins comes, is that, is that the, the scene, right? He, he's the, he's the larger of the two government men in the long scene of exposition towards the beginning. Right. The, the guy also played Porkins in Star Wars. And so uh, right. we, we always enjoy the brief three seconds of screen time that Porkins has, but uh, this is a funny thing. Um, what, what, what cracks me up about not only is the Ark of MacGuffin, but in the, in the final, uh, it's literally a deus ex machina. Yeah. <laughs> God yeah. literally comes from the right. machine to uh, solve all the problems. Right. Well, it's interesting too, because Indy's cynical about everything yeah. <clears throat> surrounding, you know, uh, it, its power, its meaning and, and why the Nazis wish to have it and et cetera, et cetera. But in the end, he becomes a believer in the film itself actually declares that all correct. Right. <laughs> you know, um, in fact, Indy believes in it enough where he doesn't lay eyes on it. And he has that amount of faith where he simply doesn't want to, uh, he knows that, you know, he can't look at it. He knows all the, the backstory and they end up surviving. So uh, whatever those, creatures are that come out of it and wipe out all the nazis they circle he and marion and, and not only do they must have judged them worthy but they also burn their ropes off in the end yeah. too so uh it's a judgment of god kind of thing yeah which i find interesting i find interesting that the screenwriter spielberg they they brought that piece into it but i'm sure there, there were discussions about that do we want to sort of uh validate in our own universe here um the actual power that's presented and uh yeah they, that, that, they, that's what happens they set it up subtly but without dwelling on it like you know marcus at the beginning says maybe it's not meant to be found i, yeah. I believe sala says the same thing and then we see it you know it's in the submarine it, it self burns the swastika off the side yeah. of the crate and uh yeah. you know so there's all these sort of hints at the religiosity of it but it never dwells on it it's you know I, so, I don't, and, and it, it, it suggests that it can't be owned also, that it's something, especially when the, when the swastika is burned off, you know, there, there's no one who can lay claim to that particular artifact. So okay. really it, it's bigger than, than the people that are desperately trying to find it. So I, find it very, yeah. I just find it very interesting that, yeah, the, the, all the Indiana Jones films, if I'm, I haven't seen them all, but all the ones that I've seen, it's, they're not afraid to bring in the supernatural aspect. Yeah. Right. Everything when they could have made a very conscious choice not to. Um, and I think it plays itself out well in this one, particularly. It certainly makes it more fun that way than if they'd opened up the ark and there was nothing in but sand uh, as it was at yes. first. Yeah, you got to have a great payoff, a great you climax. Do. And I think little yeah. supernatural uh, with all the special effects combined, I think just really make the payoff towards the end really uh really worthwhile. Who doesn't love a little supernatural? <laughs> yeah. 
little melting faces. <laughs> yeah, all the right faces melted. <laughs> right. Which, which in a movie like this, that is a that, that is a terrifying effect. It really, even oh. now, after all that we, you know, in, in all of the strides we've made in technology, even looking at that now, it's, um, you know, it, it's it's horrifying. Well, when I was a kid, I, I that stuck in my brain for yeah. a little bit, seeing that as a uh, five-year-old, you know, I mean, man. Um, yeah, I think it really, it, it's worse when it's an actual, uh, you know, whatever it was, wax figure, however they did it. You know, if, if they were to do it with CG, I don't think I think it would be. Uh, you know, I think something within you would know that it's fake. But be, the fact that it's a physical thing melting, clearly a physical thing melting, yeah. it's just realistic enough to uh, freak you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And and Ronald Lacey is the is the character who plays uh, Tom, and, and he does a phenomenal job. Yeah, he's the the, uh, the Nazi who he never has a name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy with the glasses. The guy with the glasses who tortures people. Yeah. Right. Always dressed and always overdressed and yeah. <laughs> central central casting right there. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's a great bit when he and he, he encounters Marion and Balak in the tent and he pulls out that thing, it looks like a torture device, and everybody's tense, and then it turns out he just whips it into oh, a hanger totally. and hangs his right, coat on. Right, right, right. I love the I love the humor in the storm. I think just it, again, that's why it it's great that it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's humor just very uh, strategically spread out throughout the entire, like a lot of dark humor too, especially the uh, showdown between uh, Indy and the, um, the guy in the marketplace with the sword. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you wonder uh, how, if that would, uh, if that would be written today. I know. It's, it, it becomes one of the iconic scenes in all of cinematic history, I think. Uh, we always, if, if you don't remember anything from, from Raiders, it, that might be the scene that you remember. That was an ad lib. I didn't know that. Is that right? From what I understand. Um, well, they, they filmed, they filmed the fight sequence. You can actually see, see clips of it. Mm. Oh, where he actually throws down with him. Okay. Yeah, well, Harrison, you, that was your, you were going to tell that story, Bill. You oh, no, no, I, I, you probably know more about it than I do. I just, I just remember hearing that it was off the cuff. He, um, yeah, he had a dysentery and they were trying to film the fight scene and it just wasn't coming together. And so Harrison Ford said, I, I carry this gun. Why don't we just shoot him? I won't say the word he used. Yeah. But this is funny, real quickly, anecdotally, uh, third time that I know of, of Harrison Ford really contributing in that sense. You know, he, he ad libs the line, I know, in Empire Strikes Back. But I, a professor of mine, um, when I went to school in Pennsylvania, had was an extra on the set of Witness. And he said the end wasn't working and they huddled and then Harrison Ford was really intense. And, and Harrison Ford came up with the ending, the witness, the, the Peter Weir film instead of yeah. a traditional shootout. So, you know, I think sometimes, you know, he's underrated in terms of what he's bringing to the table in a film. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you said, Bill, can I ask you a question? You said you, you, you didn't think that that scene would play today. Um, what what makes it work so much or what makes it work so well? Do you think what do you guys think? The film itself? The, that scene, that the scene, scene where he, shoot, he just pulls his gun out and shoots this. All right, we're back. So we were talking about the humor, right, of, uh, of this film. And I think there's a good amount of it. And Walter, what were you, you were in the middle of something when we were, disrupt, when we were interrupted. Snakes? Oh, well, well, you had talked about you didn't think the scene where he shoots the swordsman is politically correct or, or, or play well today. 
And I think the scene that always makes me wince uh, is when he pours the gasoline all over the snakes oh, and lights them on fire. Um, and, and, you know, again, I, I know it's, it's a movie and you don't really see the snakes burning and writhing in pain. Um, but the implication is there. And, you know, any, anyone who is an animal lover is like, but yeah. they're just innocent snakes. <laughs> and, and especially today with, with cancel culture, there's a lot of things that, that can't be done today that, that were perhaps taken for granted when they did them, you know, in 1981. And, and certainly our world has changed and, 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 and things have, have evolved since then. But um, I, I think you're quite right about the, the snake scene. Sure. Although I had no lost love there for me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. no, my father was petrified of snakes and he couldn't even watch the, that scene uh, in there. Um, right, right. But, uh, you know, I, that, that was my, my thing. But I think, you know, as, as the movies progress, Bill, you said you haven't seen all the other ones, but, you know, Indy becomes more of a, of a greater good kind of character. Yeah. Uh, whereas in here, he's very morally ambiguous, whatever it takes. He's not worried about the ethics. He's not worried about the philosophy. He, like I think Andrew said, he, he enjoys the chase. I think there's a lot of, um, we, we, we may have said this about some other characters, but there's something, um, there's a lot of Rick from Casablanca in, in Harrison Ford in this, that he's out to, to, to you know, for, for himself in, in a certain sense. And, and, and I made this point, I think, when we did our uh, Casablanca podcast, there is something very American about that, going all the way back to Cooper's, right, and, and the Leatherstocking Tales, that, you know, that, that sense of American um, how-to and, and um, the pioneer spirit. Uh, of, of uh, you know, taming the wilderness. There is something about that, at least for me, with, with Indiana Jones as a character. So if he does change, could we say that the experience at the, uh, at the Ark made him uh, perhaps more of a, a believer of a gr- uh, bigger picture here? Now, what, what's this? Okay, when we get to the Last Crusade and we have, again, another religious uh, relic, that's in play here. Does he have a skeptic, uh, skeptical view of what the, you know, the Holy Grail is? I, I, it's been a while since I've seen that one. No, but there is an interesting thing at the end that I don't know if anybody's ever thought of, or I'm sure they have, I'm not, but he drinks from the Holy Grail. He's, mm. he's technically becomes immortal. That's right. <laughs> um, there is something mentioning that, you know, the Joseph of Arimathea, who was the knight there, the knight, temp, knight Templar, couldn't cross the seal of the cave but Indy does drink and then does cross the seal. And then in the next movie, he's a lot older, but uh, I just thought that it was kind of a, would have been a great note to end the whole sequence on that. He's potentially immortal. And now of course they're, they're making another one. If, if we ever get back to uh, film production uh, after the pandemic is, is over, but um, you know, and how old is Harrison Ford now? 77, 78. Yeah. He's getting up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Shia LaBeouf uh, turned out not to be the uh, heir apparent to the indie yeah, role, I guess. Right, right. Um, right. Oh my God. <laughs> so but, but, but there is some, there is something really that you know people as bad as the last movie was, uh, the Crystal Skull. Um, you know, I, I think people will look forward to seeing what an, what another Indiana Jones film would look like. Yeah, uh, we we're, we tend to forgive both Spielberg and and Harrison Ford for yeah. um, some of the mistakes they made in the earlier films. And yeah. I think they would they would have learned from it. I think they would have taken it to heart right. and maybe embraced the aging of the character right. uh, a little more realistically. And I do hope they go back to that moral ambiguity with Indiana Jones, because I do think and, and, and I think you are absolutely right to point this out, Walter. I do think that the movies get progressively worse 
as he gets progressively more um, ethical and 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 you know sort of narrow-minded i find that very boring myself it is and and they also have to find ways to top themselves and so right. um you know it it, it it you know it's never in the realm of believability but there right. it gets further and further away from that um you know it's funny because this movie was such a template for action films from this point on and when i remember seeing this in the film and, and it took my breath away it was so dizzyingly paced you know couple of moments of exposition, but for the most part, breakneck speed. But I've shown this in film classes where kids who have grown up on the hyperkinetic children of this film who find it slow paced. Yeah. Really? That's, that's, that's confusing to me. The film itself is very short. It, it's under two hours. It's only 115 minutes long. So it's not a long film to begin with, but I think um, other than one or two spots where the, you know, the exposition is, is needed. Um, I, I think you're right. It goes, it goes really, really quickly. It does. And, and it bounds from one thing to another, but uh, it just, uh, I've had kids fall asleep. Wow. I can't think of a single part of the film that drags at all. No, I can't either. I like every bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe the, the scene where um, uh, he puts the, the, sh the, the staff of Ra but you know, even that—that's that's super compelling. You know, where's yeah. the where's it going to land? That ray of light. You know, it's it's uh, super suspenseful. By the way, you know, he's down there in the in broad daylight. At any moment, you know, one of the uh, the Nazi guards can catch him. And you see an archaeologist at work. I love that scene where he takes out the brush and he's you know he's brushing the the sand away from from the from that template there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And there's still, but there's still that urgency because Sala's been arrested up top right. for hanging around the whole, the great John Riz Davies, uh, um, who, yeah. who went on to Fantastic. play. Fantastic, yeah. He went on to play Gimli in the, yeah. the Rings. I yep. love that. Oh, the poor monkey. I forgot about <laughs> Now that you mentioned it, the poor monkey, right? Who gets poisoned. The first time I saw the film, I, I, I didn't realize the monkey was a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, missed, I missed when he... Well, when he high, uh, Heil Hitler, the, yeah. the other agent, I thought he was mocking him. I thought yeah. the monkey was being sarcastic. And so that I saw the film again. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Monkey was with the bad guy. I don't know why I missed it. I, you know. <laughs> and, but, you know, in, in a way, the monkey and, and, and the, the man, uh, you know, the, the, everything is for sale in this film. Right. That, that, that there, you know, anything can be bought. And what I really like about it, and it's kind of a subtext, is that th this whole subtext of betrayal runs all the way through it. That at any moment, you know, you're going to be betrayed. It's not if, it, it's when. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, you know, the character of Balak, like I said, he's the, the doppelganger of Indiana. Yeah. But he's also, he's charming. He's, sure. He sees the Nazis as a necessity, you know, which makes it more egregious because he's French. Yeah. Um, I always like the character because the actor playing him, his name is Paul Freeman. And that's my, my brother's name. <laughs> See his name on the screen. Uh, that so reminds to, me of to give you just some stats on this. Um, the film uh, was, the budget was an estimated uh, $18 million, which, you know, in 1981 yeah. was a lot of money, but today is not necessarily, you know, it, it, it's very, it's nothing. Uh, opening weekend, it, it grossed around, um, Eight million three hundred five thousand, uh, and then the gross um, um, total um, for the U.S. is around two hundred fifty million, um, and almost four hundred million dollars worldwide. So I mean, it's it, we're talking staggering numbers. 
golly. And and no, almost no, you know, whatever what would pass for CGI effects, almost entirely practical effects, which right. to me just adds so much to the film. And 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 think about you know Harrison Ford doesn't get into shape in the way that Daniel Craig does for for James Bond or Hugh Jackman does for Wolverine. You know, there's none of that uh, body transformation that occurs, which it might be another reason why I, I like Indiana Jones so much. He's a, a regular guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't work out at the gym. He, he right. You know, he earns his muscles in the field. Right. Yeah. He's smart uh, and. You know, he's street smart and books book smart as yeah. well, which is something that's very, very admirable. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's popped in my head. Okay, so the reason why the Nazis are trying to acquire this arc, you know, it's, it's explained towards the beginning that um, I think it's put that Hitler's a nut for yeah. um, religious iconography and, and religious art. Um, is he is is it implied? Is it stated that Hitler wants it for its its potential power, or is it just just as a status symbol? Like, look, you know, look what look what I have, and uh, is it just an acquisition of uh, of archaeology, or is it said that it's actually he's looking for literal supernatural power? I think, for, if I remember correctly, it's it, it's he is the fanatic of, of for these things and 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 obsessed with the occult. It's the two Americans that bring up, you know, the, the weaponization of it. Uh, again, not to sound anti-American, that's not what I'm trying to go for. But I, I think that Spielberg is con- and 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 the you know uh, Lucas are consciously trying to paint um, an ambiguity with with the Americans and why they particularly want this. Right. We keep is- it out of the hands of Hitler, but yeah. also perhaps to use it themselves. Right. Though in the end, they do file it away in the way. They file it away. Right. Right. Exactly. Did you, we have to mention Orson Welles at least once in every podcast, but did you get the, at the end, the um, almost like a homage shot to uh, the end of Citizen Kane? Yeah. Where you have the, um, you know, just the endless shot of all the crates and, and relics just to imply that basically this, this thing is, has just been reduced to just any other, item a collection among collections right right also and, you know one of the producers is frank marshall who is obviously on the side of the wind all right always leads back to orson right and i think it's really cool too that it's interesting it's just a clever irony at the end that all, after all this um no one's gonna see it it's just yeah. it's it's rendered meaningless right so which by the way it makes me think of okay well what happened to the the, the golden idol head at the beginning it did is that ever come back in any way, shape, or form? No. Maybe the next movie should be getting that damn idol, that golden idol head. <laughs> Balak sold it on the black market, and that was the end of it. Yeah. Right, right. I read somewhere that's based on an actual, it's a fertility god hmm. of some sort. Um, Freaky as hell. It is. And the temple scene is great. Uh, you know, again, builds on the, opening scene that, that I talked about, but just uh, from the, from the moment they enter that, that temple um, or, or that uh, burial place or whatever it is. Yeah. That's just incredible. All the booby traps and, and, and things and the, the weighted thing and the boulder coming down. I love it. Well, that's the, 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 the boulder is iconic. And no matter how many times I see the movie, when he's running, when he's running out of that thing into the water and into the plane, I'm always, Screaming! I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm sure he's going to get caught, but you know, 
I keep yelling at him to run, run, run. I guess they filmed him running away from it, you know, something upwards of 20 times in the, the where he stumbles in that one brief moment. That was real. real. They, they liked the shot, so they kept it in. They kept it. Yeah. yeah. So accident. We, we've talked a lot about Indiana Jones himself, uh, the character. Um, I, I, can we switch gears a little bit, talk a little bit about Marion, who I, I, I think is, you know, one of my favorite characters, I think, in all of film. Um, she's just really, really tough really, really smart. She gives him, um, you know, whatever he, you know, she stands up to him and she can do it toe to toe. Um, the, the scene that, that, that I always keep coming back is that scene where he walks into her bar, uh, towards the beginning, uh, in Nepal. And, you know, she just had this epic drinking match, with a huge <laughs> guy that she, you know, uh, and he falls down drunk and, and passes out. And she, she, she sort of gets up as if she's not drunk after that. Right. She goes about her daily duty. Yeah. <laughs> the door opens in that wonderful, um, you know, lighting with with the um, with the shadow uh, of him standing there that's larger than life. You know, it, it's very sort of Nosferatu in that you know that German sort of way of making use of that expressionism. Uh, I absolutely adore that scene, all the way from where she begins drinking uh, with with the guy, and then all the way. <laughs> oh, Scotsman, you're stuck. I, I love when the Nazi guy burns his hand. Yeah. I mean, that's just hilarious. I mean, it's, again, just, just going back to the humor. It's like something from Home Alone. Right. And that scream, I know exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned, Mary, and I've always, I connect her back to the, the character of Annabelle Lee in the Buster Keaton film, The General, you know, not a passive yep. uh, per, uh, viewer of the action, but but an active participant. But Marion is so good and so cool. Like you said, she gets her own pretty good intro yeah you know the drinking contest uh you know and she you know she, she's introduced in a way that establishes her as a major player in the story especially uh, when you compare it to the next uh film and in, in, uh you know she pale the, the the next actress the next leading lead is that kate, kate capshaw i think was in, yeah. yeah she i mean she was like the exact opposite in a way you know she there was no chemistry yeah and she was always kind of whiny and, and helpless. And um, I'm, I'm always wondering why they didn't bring back the first uh, first actress. They, I, who knows? And it, well, you know, right? Karen Allen does make the comeback in, in, in the Crystal Skull film where she does come back. Yeah. Um, and she's not too far. She lives not too far from you guys. She lives just, I think, over the border in Massachusetts. Okay. Good yeah. We should have invited her on the podcast. Oh, I know. It, we, we should we should reach out and see what she thinks. I, I hope there's a place for her in, in the in the in the new film um, because I, I I do think that um, you know she's not a, a, a female Indiana Jones because I think that would be an insult to her character. Um, but she certainly uh, uh, she has enough willpower and guts and and intelligence to get to get herself out of uh, her own jams. And you see the chemistry between them, which is as much hostility as it is love. Well, you're right. When she's, when she's captured in the tent by Bullock and Indy finds her and then leaves her there. Yeah. Right. She doesn't just sit there waiting for him to come back. She, she She does it. Yeah. She takes her own, makes her own plan. And yeah, you know, she's great. And of course that earlier scene I was referring to in her bar is, is directly leading up to that scene, you know, of her capacity to drink (laughs) like a man. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Al, Al drinks him. Yeah, uh, and she clubs. She clubs that guy right in the bar scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a shoot, shoots one too. Yeah, yeah. 
She's a badass. Yeah, she really is. Yeah, she's a fantastic character, I think. Well, it's funny because that, that scene highlights something, but you can see it throughout. The, the punches and the gunshots are, you know, hyper-stylized. Yeah. To, to just sound like they're they're really, you know, landing. Um, my, yeah. my One of my favorite shots is in the, the scene where Indy's trying to rescue her from the cockpit of the plane and the big the big bald Nazi punches him. Yeah. And you, the first time he punches him, you see his knees wobble before he falls down. And that just makes me laugh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a, such a great shot. The, uh, you know, we, we know that they had a rocky pre-story there. I've always been curious about their pre-story, you know, between yeah. Indy and Miriam. I've always thought that that could be a movie in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> I read an article that said, if you think about it, she might she might have been in her late teens. Okay. Uh, she says it was 10 years when it happened and she yeah. was a child and I know that can mean a lot of things but she's not that old Karen Allen in that right in that sequence they, they kind of, but there's 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 Indy again you know sort of right more yeah. ambiguous character yeah yeah and 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 there's you know she's uh, he is her father's protege and 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 so there is there is a suggestion of of taking advantage of of one's position yeah. 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 And he, he, you know, obviously had the falling out with Abner over the relationship with Marion and right. they all part ways. Uh, so, yeah. I wonder when Harrison Ford is finished with Indy. Uh, we don't know when that's going to happen. Um, but obviously when he passes, you just wonder if this is a franchise that will, will live on in any other capacity should it do you think it will i mean you could probably make the case that it probably will i mean you know in, in our day and age certainly death has not stopped franchises from carrying on um and i think many people would say you know what it probably shouldn't um but i don't know would you rather see it uh sort of fade away or would you think that it could be perhaps even there's some prequel stories, you know, we just talked about before Raiders of Lost Ark, maybe, you know, Indy coming to, um, we, you know, we have that quick uh, scene at the beginning of uh, The Last Crusade, where has River Phoenix as a young Indiana Jones. In fact, there's a whole series, wasn't there? Yeah, but young Indiana Jones, I think, yeah. So maybe Miriam's father plays into uh, that series. I don't know. Um, but anyway. It begs, I mean, I wonder, like, I love Indiana Jones, but I love Harrison Ford as Indiana yeah. Jones probably more than I love any other character. I can I can deal with changing James Bonds and things like that, but I think that Indiana Jones makes that character, and either they're going to go way younger, but I, I think there would be a mistake to, to, to try to do more indie, yeah. you know, in the same age frame. I, I hope this next film, whatever they do, that they go out on a high note. And yeah. the period at the end of it, too, yeah. so... I think, you know, Hollywood is known for, I wouldn't put it past Hollywood to remake Raiders of the Lost Ark with a younger actor. <laughs> well, definitely a lot of CGI. Yeah. Disney buys it, you know, if, uh, if they don't own it already, who knows? Right. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they take that. And I don't know, do, do you think that the indie franchise is a bit more limited? Let's say like James Bond, where you could just easily drum up another episode. Um, I suppose, I mean, it seems like indie tries to... Um, take on different, you know, so you have the, the Nazi era story, then you have what, um, with the crystal skull you have, isn't it? Russians, Russians Cold War. Russians Cold War. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, you have Temple of Doom, which was, you know, kind of. Uh, that was free. That was that was that was before uh, that was Raider? set back. Yeah, um, that that was set earlier than Raiders of the Lost Ark, I believe. Was and, it? Yeah, and Ford did pump iron for that role. Oh, he did. I didn't know that. He yeah. did. Yeah, there's. A I, I've of, completely forgotten uh, Temple of Doom. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's such a horrible movie, in my opinion. I can't. I'm uh, pretty sure it's set before the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's interesting. Now uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and watch it. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm pretty sure. We talk about MacGuffins and the importance of them. Um, you know, MacGuffin is, in theory, supposed to be kind of like a, a meaningless device. But again, the the Ark is such a cool MacGuffin. Yeah. When it comes to you go to the Temple of Doom, I don't even know what they were. Were they hunting for some sort of rock? Yeah, yeah, sacred stones to a village. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, that that didn't excite me when I <laughs> when I saw that movie at first. Uh, there's something about the acting that's just off. That 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 film doesn't. It doesn't hit any mark for me. No, no, no. Come, come, come for the violence, stay for the racism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. But to get back to your earlier point, Bill, uh, you know, with, with, it, with the Indiana Jones films that, you know, they're writing the screenplays as they're filming them. With, with, with James Bond, we have all of those Ian Fleming books to, to draw from. So there's this vast reservoir of James Bond stories that, that the films can draw from. And of course, John Gardner took over, um, you know, after uh, Ian Fleming. And, and continued on with, with writing a, a number of James Bond books. Yeah. So, you know, we, we don't have that kind of reservoir to draw from for the Indiana Jones stories. Not to say that they couldn't do it. Uh, you know, certainly I think there's a lot of creative people in Hollywood. Um, it's, it's the question of will the studios allow them to make it? Well, you can also, I mean, um, James Bond is sort of, you can set him in any era, you know, yeah. and, and Indiana Jones, if he follows a chronological timeline, you know, Harrison Ford being, you know, 10 years or so since Crystal Skull, this could have to be set in the 60s, I would imagine. Right, yeah. What are they going to go for then? Hmm. What's the big mystical MacGuffin? Yeah. You know, right. Village Stones, the Holy Grail, the Lost Ark, the, whatever the heck it was in Crystal Skulls in Crystal Skull, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Knowledge was their treasure. Right, right. What's going to be at stake, right? You know, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, to get, you know, because you have to get the audience invested. And I think yeah. the MacGuffin does play a, play a role in that. It does. It really does. I think you're absolutely right. So did uh, Spielberg direct the, others, the, uh, did he direct all four? I think he did. I think he did. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned that one day they'll be owned by Disney. I think it's actually Lucasfilm. Yeah. Uh, so they are already. They are. Yeah. Not that we're bashing Disney. <laughs> all the lights go off mysteriously yeah, nothing wrong yeah <laughs> there, there was talk of having chris pratt uh take over the role i heard that yeah which you know i i can see it I, you know i think it would be its own thing not a i don't know take a little getting used to but yeah 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 it'll be interesting um let's not forget the music though right john I mean, williams. yeah john williams uh he scored this perfectly like he normally does but I think his particular style lends itself really well for this kind of film. You know, uh, it's it's right up there in terms of iconic music with anything else, right? Yeah. Right after the Star Wars, and uh, it's not just the main theme; it's some of the, you know, the the musical backdrops throughout the film. Yeah. You know, some of the more lush moments. I think it's pretty beautiful, and then it's it's boisterous enough and. 
when you know during the action scene. So I think it's it's uh, it's perfect. He has a knack for for capturing the emotional background of everything, including the action sequences. I mean, you know when when he's swinging on the vine out to the seaplane, and you hear da 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 da, da you just your blood gets pumping. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just fantastic. Absolutely. All right, guys, we are running out of time here. I'm getting okay. the Zoom message. Zoom will be cutting us off. So, Walter, did you want to do your shout out? I did. I did. And I have to find the name because uh, my. Uh, so give me a little uh, vamping here. We love shout outs. We there love. We go. Okay. We got a nice note. We want to shout out to Emma Jane from New Zealand who who posted a nice note to us uh, on our podcast site uh, on um, on the Facebook Classroom Critics site. And we just like encourage folks to do the same. We appreciate that, her kind words. And yep. so, hello, Sarah Jane from New Zealand. Hello, hands across hello. the water. <laughs> Emma Jane, I'm sorry, not Sarah Jane. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we'd love to encourage everyone to get on the uh, Facebook site, uh, Facebook page and, and put their uh, thoughts on the films and the discussions that we have. So. Part of this is really getting uh, a film uh, dialogue going, and we just love to hear from you. And I'm sure with any episode, we've forgotten a ton. We just don't have enough time, and we'd love to keep the discussion going. I would love to also ask the listeners, you know, uh, post some questions for us. Yeah. Um, we'd love to to have you ask us some questions that we can answer during a, a podcast. Yeah, and we, we actually for, for film. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We'd yes. love to have a, a listener. Uh, Listen to question show at some point, so that's that's down the road. So we'll take requests. Right, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, guys, thanks for uh, for joining us uh, today, and uh, we thank the audience for uh, for listening. And again, rate us, comment on Facebook, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time on the Classroom Critics. Take care. <laughs>